but I did some research on on the numbers of how many people have lost Bitcoin and how many people, or, you know, yeah, let's just say Bitcoin and how many people have been the victims of fraud or theft. And the, the delta there is actually quite staggering. You are, it, it appears you are twice as, or more than twice as likely to just lose your Bitcoin than you are to have, you know, a malicious hacker or, um, you know, the $5 ranch or whatever, to have it stolen from you. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, Gordon. That's me. I'm flying solo today. No Faris, my partner in crime. And before I introduce today's special guest, let's do our proof of recording. The current Bitcoin price, and I'm trying not to get too excited, is 51,490 US dollars. And the current Bitcoin blockchain height or block number is 671,141. So today I interviewed Anthony S. Park, who is a returning guest, and I will link that episode where we talked about estate planning in the description of the show notes. I'll also link his latest podcast from a couple of weeks ago where he discussed Bitcoin risk of theft versus risk of loss. So all of that in the show notes or description in your podcast player or YouTube. Today's podcast episode was really a follow-on from uh, Anthony's initial podcast discussing the likelihood of your Bitcoin being stolen versus the likelihood of your Bitcoin being hacked or uh, from theft or whatnot. And he obviously comes from a legal perspective. I come from a technical perspective, and I think we're on the same page. We may have not agreed with some of the implementation, but hopefully this will give you food for thought in terms of whether, even if you have a small amount of Bitcoin, uh, how is that going to be accounted for in your will? And uh, what are you going to leave for your beneficiaries? So without further ado, here's the interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Okay. So hi, Anthony, for the second time returning guest. I think if you come onto our podcast for three times, you get a hat or t-shirt or something. Awesome. Looking forward not, to it. Not that we have them. So it's a virtual hat or t-shirt. Um, a few things have happened in the world since, uh, since we last spoke, but we're not going to go there. Um, two things I'm going to do, I'm going to link your recent uh, podcast episode that we're going to talk about today and also our last interview on the show in the show notes so people can check that out. But how about you uh, tell us who Anthony S. Park is and perhaps plug yourself as well. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on again. It's great talking about this topic. Um, um, my name is Anthony Park. I'm an attorney and professional executor in New York. And what that means is I'm the person that uh, that you hire when you don't have anyone else or you don't have anyone suitable to sort of settle the final affairs of a loved one, uh, primarily in New York, but actually I, I've served all over the United States. So that's my that's my my bread and butter business, and that's that's the experience from which I draw when I think about things like okay, what happens to someone's crypto or Bitcoin when they die exactly? 
Uh, I know a lot of people talk about it sort of on a philosophical or academic level, but I'm the one who's kind of in the trenches with my sleeves rolled up, figuring out, okay, um, where exactly are those phrases? <laughs> and we, uh, I, I mean, I haven't had that situation quite yet, but um, I am quite experienced in how messy it is after someone dies. Um, and I can sort of bring that knowledge and that experience to for sort of helping folks flesh out what is a plan that will actually work, uh, you know, when you pass away with, with regard to your, your crypto, your Bitcoin. And you haven't come across any uh, people who have died and, you know, left millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin on the table? So I, I'm doing a, several plans, which is very exciting. I'm, I'm having fun helping folks sort of think this through. But um, as far as I know, I haven't had a, a probate. That's what they call it when somebody passes away. I haven't had a probate with somebody holding or huddling, at least as far as I know. Maybe they were and the heirs just didn't know, <laughs> which is one of the problems, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plausible deniability. Um, and actually, th this is something I don't think we lost on last episode, and you don't have to go into it. But how did you first come across Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin, if, if you want to answer it. I don't remember. I think it, um, oh, the, what I think you would call him a thought leader who I had been following or reading, uh, Naval Ravikant. I'm not sure if you know who that is. Uh, he's the founder of AngelList. Uh, he's a Silicon Valley uh, angel investor and entrepreneur, but he's also pretty bullish on Bitcoin, both from a financial perspective, but also as a, uh, you know, society advancing technology, as it were. <laughs> and I just, he just made it sound super interesting and super positive. So that's, I think that's when I jumped in. Did you first think it was internet funny money or you actually thought, no, this is actually something amazing? So because of the way I was introduced, and I think this was on the, uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast and a popular um, US-based podcast, um, it wasn't introduced as an investment. It was introduced as decentralization first. And later, a potential uh, way of you know profiting or changing you know the reserve system, but it was it was really posited to me first, at least again based on my exposure or my experience, um, about the problem with gatekeepers, and that really resonated with me. Before I thought, oh, I can also make some money out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what did they say? Come for the money and stay for the gains. Stay for something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, right. Yeah, I, I thought it was second life and I'd be able to buy virtual houses and build golf courses and that kind of stuff. But uh, obviously I was wrong. <laughs> so the reason why we've got you on, because I listened to an excellent podcast episode uh, you did, I think, last week or perhaps the week before called um, Bitcoin Theft Versus Loss. Do you want to just give us like a really brief synopsis of what you're talking about? Sure. So. I did some very high level, you know, just Google, you know, I didn't really dig very deep, <laughs> but I did some research on, on the numbers of how many people have lost Bitcoin and how many people, or, you know, yeah, let's just say Bitcoin and how many people have been the victims of fraud or theft. And the, the Delta there is actually quite staggering. You are, it, it appears you are twice as, or more than twice as likely to just lose your Bitcoin than you are to have, you know, a malicious hacker or, um, you know, the $5 ranch or whatever, to have it stolen from you. Um, so there's a couple caveats here. Uh, this is, from what I could tell, this, you know, this data is not, you know, bulletproof. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, the lost, a lot of the, the Bitcoins that are counted at lo as lost could be simple, simply long, long-term holders. 
because I believe they're pulling data from from the from the ledger and basically making a guess as to okay, this thing has not moved in X number of years. Um, let's add that into the lost pile. So it doesn't seem like it's that accurate. But even if you you know knock off a certain percentage of that, it does seem like it's way more than theft. <laughs> that being said, yeah. That being said, the amount of Bitcoin that has been stolen may may in fact be underreported, um, as you know in most walks of life. Not every crime is necessarily reported and documented. So you know there is some fudging of the numbers there. But it does seem pretty clear that you are more likely and probably twice as likely to lose your your crypto just by you know losing your passwords, your seed phrases, etc., then you are to be the victim of a, a hacker or a sim swap or what what have you. Yeah, so I'm I'm just quoting from from what you said in the podcast, and I think these numbers are grossly underreported. 1.6 million stolen, 3.7 million lost. That's mm. I mean, if you round that up, that's six million. Which, given the circulating supply is just over 18 million at the moment, that's a third. Right. That's a third yeah. of all Bitcoin. I think that's actually quite underreported. Um, mm. So I think that's an absolute bare minimum. I won't go into how I lost uh, Bitcoin and had uh, coins on Mt. Gox as well because oh, be I'm so sorry <laughs> due, to, due to the price. But um, that's another story for another day. Mm. So what is more likely then? Let's start with this: losing your Bitcoin or having your Bitcoin stolen. So the, the numbers seem to, to tell the story that you are more likely to lose just by, um, you know, forgetting your, your, your passwords or your seed phrases, depending on how, you, on how you're set up um, or when you die. Um, <laughs> and maybe you knew where everything was and you knew, you know, you had it etched into your memory, but that doesn't help your heirs. You know, I think the, uh, the Matthew Mellon is one of those examples. Um, so that's one example. I mean, there's just, there are, I think that's the biggest story, but, um, yeah, just a lot of that's, that's kind of where I come in. Like, um, sure. There's the story of how are you going to plan for, for maintaining, uh, preventing catastrophic life for yourself during your lifetime. But what I'm, what, what my expertise I hope is able to help folks with is how do you prevent that from happening when you sort of have to transfer to your heirs? Yeah, so don't copy and paste your uh, Bitcoin private keys into a Google Doc or uh, <laughs> email it to yourself or, or something like that. So I guess on that, and let's drill down it because your podcast was great. And again, check the links in the show notes because you came up with a lot of problems. But we'll delve into that a little bit more and perhaps come up with some solutions. Sure. But firstly, let, let's just answer what does it actually mean to own Bitcoin? Uh, so you know, I'm not I'm not really the expert <laughs> on this area, but um, I can I can put a sort of legal lens on it, or an, at least an estate lens on it, and you kind of have a couple of different ways of thinking about it because um, it's not quite doesn't quite fit neatly into any one bucket. I mean, you you might think of it as a bank or brokerage account because it is a financial um, asset, but it it doesn't act like that because of the way the financial institutions, or if you're on a uh, on exchange there's a lot of differences. Like you can't name a beneficiary on your Coinbase or Binance account. Whereas you could do that with your bank or brokerage account. And that would solve at least the, will your heirs know that you, you know, they, they're inheriting something, but that's just not an option. Similarly, you can't open a trust or executor account with again, uh, Binance, Kraken, Gemini, any of those exchanges. So your executor can't exactly take over. Your executor will need to know how to transfer the 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 crypto onto essentially his his or her own wallet, whether it be a digital paper or or hardware, because just it's just not an option on any of the exchanges. Uh, 
So, so it's not, it's not a financial product. Um, it is closer to personal property. What I mean by that is like, let's say you have a Picasso <laughs> or a baby grand piano or something that's, um, and basically whoever's, whoever's in possession of it is technically is kind of the owner at that moment. <laughs> so it is closer to that, although it's not exactly that. Um, so you do have to make sure you're delivering possession of, I guess, however you would get access. So I guess, uh, you know, your key, your seed phrase or your keys. Um, and then there's of course the idea that it's sort of like an intellectual, intellectual property asset because it boils down to something that can be written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> so there's all these different ways of thinking about it. Um, so, uh, those are different ways of thinking about how, uh, how to own and how to transfer it upon your death. If I, and, and, and let's forget about jurisdictions because they're probably different in New York, but let alone different countries as well. I, I have my uh, crypto, my Bitcoin on a, I don't know, a, a Bulgarian exchange and uh, I unfortunately die and my benefactors and my um, estate gets uh, executed. Um, my will gets executed. Uh, what happens to that? What is there any recourse? What could my heirs do, my benefactors? So as far as I can tell, uh, the exchanges are following the banks in terms of what happens with the deceased person's account in that as long as somebody comes to them with a death certificate and a proof that they are the legal representative of the estate, such as an executor, and you need a piece of paper called letters testamentary, they will release to you. But it's very unclear what that means, release to you, because again, they don't. If you if you did that with a bank, they would simply open an executor account and say, okay, you now you're now the manager of this account, or cut you a check uh, for the for the balance of the account. But you might not want to liquidate. You know, <laughs> you may not want to convert to fiat. That might not be the intention or the wishes of the person who passed away. So, you know, you need an executor who knows how to set up an address and receive. Uh, the the output or the um, the withdrawal from the from that Bulgarian exchange, <laughs> and and just on that. So if you did have Bitcoin BTC, let's say you had a million dollars worth of BTC, that when when that's distributed to the benefactor uh, beneficiaries, is that in BTC or is that in US dollars or? So it depends on the situation. Uh, my advice to any executor out there would be to transfer it. Uh, they call it in kind, meaning in, in Bitcoin, in BTC, only because it's such a volatile uh, asset. You don't want to be the one on the hook for liquidating it one day, cutting the check to your heir, and the next day, you know, it pops and your, your heir is mad at you, whether or not it's legitimate, but you're creating a problem, right? Your heir is mad at you that he's left, you know, $100,000 on the table or whatever the case may be. Yeah, um, I'm I'm completely out of my depth with uh, with all this legalese. I'm afraid, Anthony, yeah. uh, which is why we've got you on the show. Um, so uh, again, have have a listen to our previous episode because we actually did go into estate planning quite a bit. Um, and I like some of the problems and the scenarios that you came up with, and and we've mentioned that you know uh, there are different ways to define Bitcoin, um, but essentially, from my point of view, and this may not be a legal perspective. Whoever has access to those private keys essentially owns the Bitcoin because um, yeah. they can they can spend them. Let's go through a couple of scenarios and, and do some pros and cons. And I, I know there are a lot of different custody solutions out there, so we're not going to go too much into it, but I wanted to look at three things, paper wallets, uh, hardware wallets, and Bitcoin exchanges. So, I mean, off, off the top of your head, 
let's look at a paper wallet. Uh, what is it? What are some of the pros and cons with storing your Bitcoin in a paper wallet? Cool. So paper wallets are essentially where you write down on a piece of paper your your private key. Uh, and this is a, I think, 250 character string of, uh, I think, letters and numbers. I don't know exactly. Um, that yes. is, yep. you know, whoever has that has access to whatever's whatever amount of crypto is held in that uh, in that digital wallet. Um, or yeah, I shouldn't say digital wallet in that wallet. <laughs> um, so the problems with that, are, I guess the pros are it's it's one of the most secure. I mean, as long as you set it up properly, it's supposedly one of the most secure ways of holding your crypto. It's a it's an utterly cold solution. <laughs> um, again, assuming it was uh, generated properly. Um, so, and it's it's a little old school. A lot of folks will be more comfortable with knowing that they have this piece of paper that represents it's almost like a bearer bond. It represents their Bitcoin. Right. Um, and it has sometimes you can print it out with a fancy um, it'll look like like a stock certificate and it kind of feels more tangible. I, I, I know that doesn't really matter, but psychologically, I think that's going to help a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but the drawbacks are that it's extremely fragile. And, uh, you know, if that that paper um, disintegrates, <laughs> uh, you know, coffee gets spilled on it and a portion of your key is uh, is destroyed you're kind of out of luck <laughs> and it's, it's much harder to um, it's much harder to recover sort of uh, mentally. So when you have a 12 or 24 or however long seed phrase, those are, I believe all English language words where even if you you lose a couple of letters, you might be able to reconstruct, Oh, that, that word is um, I'm looking at my TV remote control. So if it's R R blank, blank, blank T E, you might be able to suss out that that word was remote, for example. Right? right, but if you just have X Y Z one five six, and a chunk is you know blotted out for whatever reason, you you know I mean yeah, it's gonna be tough to recover that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so those are the pros and cons of the uh, of the of the of the of the paper wallet. Yeah. I mean, have I missed anything? I, I think you're probably a stronger uh, expert in, in this area. Well, I'm asking the questions, Anthony. Um, okay. Yeah, no, you you no, you're completely right. Um, and and there are also things called metal wallets as well. We can actually imprint. Mm -hmm. The, the characters and so they're a little bit more durable but yeah so i've always wondered about those aren't you giving up your keys when you're you're asking someone to, to etch them i mean how does that work yeah well they're actually metal wallets you can do yourself so you can actually sort of oh. you know imprint them onto the metal yourself but you're right and 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 also creating a paper wallet too has its own risks as well because i think one of the paper wallet websites was actually hacked so when you're generating a paper wallet guess what you just gave all your bitcoins to the hacker who did the website. Wow. Um, and if you're really paranoid and, you know, you printed out your paper wallet on a work printer, well, those, those printers actually have memory and they have hard drives in them. And, you know, someone five years later might be able to get into that. But um, yeah, so have, paper Gordon, wallets, have you read, sorry, have you read the, uh, the Bitcoin billionaires, the, uh, the Winkle, basically the, the story of the Winkle no. bosses getting into it? No, I haven't. No. So they, this is from the book, so this is public information, but um, so when they, when they set up, they did paper wallets and they bought fresh printers. They had a, a fresh laptop that was complete, had never been online. And then they, at the end of the whole process, they, they sledgehammered all the printers and hard drive. Like that's how, <laughs> how strong their OPSEC was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think you have to, I mean, even a laptop, you've got stuff that stays in memory. There might be some temporary printer files on the hard drive. Um, when you're dealing with a lot of money, um, yeah, and, and even that, it's like, you know, um, 
uh, where did you create the 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 paper wallet from? Like, what software did you use? Did you use mm-hmm. it on what browser and that kind of stuff? So uh, you can never be too paranoid when it comes to these kind of things. Okay, so we we got. I mean, I call them OTG wallets. You know, off the grid, offline wallets. Um, whether it's a paper wallet, metal wallet, that kind of stuff. It's not connected to the internet. You print it once, and and that's it. But as you said, uh, pretty fragile. And from an estate planning point of view, like where do you put it? Do you put it in your bookshelf? Do you put it in a yeah. bank deposit box? Uh, where do you store it? So safe deposit boxes are notoriously. You, you don't want to put. I know people love the idea of leaving their will or their deed or whatever in their safe deposit box, but it's just not a good. So I open safe deposit boxes after people die and it's just not a good process. It's you don't want anything super valuable in there. Um, especially something that's going to, you know, if revealed could be a huge security hole. Uh, the contents of your safe deposit box are recorded and sent to the court. Um, you know, I can't imagine why they would actually write down the actual private key, but it is, you know, you have several people seeing what's in the box. It's, it's a, it, you know, you have a process where you, there you have several, several witnesses when you open the box to make sure nobody you know, took anything, but I don't know, that just doesn't feel very secure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, either. And I mean, I'm, I mean, who knows who has access to it, maybe the bank staff and uh, yeah, right. so pro- probably not the, probably not the best idea in the world. Okay, so we've got these OTG wallets uh, with their pros and cons. Um, and, and remarkably, a lot of the Bitcoin sort of old timers and what we call cypherpunks, they actually go for these offline wallets because uh, that's sort of how hardcore they are. <laughs> and then we come to hardware wallets. So what is a hardware wallet and, you know, what are the, what's, well, what is a hardware wallet? So my understanding... And again, I'm more lawyer than uh, than Bitcoin guy. So here's my understanding from that perspective. Sure. Is, yeah, that the hardware wallets are sort of a um, uh, a semi-cold, I guess you would say, uh, solution that bridges the gap between the paper wallet and something that's completely online. So it's, a, it's usually a very, very small, super simple device that you plug into your computer or you, you, know, you put online for the limited pers- purpose of transacting. However... My understanding is when it's online, it's never actually revealing um, your private keys or, 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 or exposing them to the, to the hot connection, but rather uh, an encrypted version of it. So, so your keys basically never leave this small, um, small device. And it's a super simple device, which uh, in theory makes it less vulnerable to malware or hacking because I think the, comp- you know, the, the computer science uh, notion is that the simpler the operating system and the sim- simpler the the device, the fewer, you know, points of entry or points of weakness to a potential virus or malware. That's my very high level understanding of what are the, you know, why, what are the technological reasons why you have a hardware wallet? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you hit the nail on the head. Complexity is the enemy of security. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's usually how things work in computer science. Um, and, and then it makes your life easier, right? You don't have to write down these yeah. 250 digits each time you, you transact. And, that, and that's really the main advantage. The pro of a hardware wallet is it's super convenient. So yeah. you plug in your hardware wallet into your computer. Um, and as Anthony just said, your private keys don't actually leave the hardware wallet. But one of the main things, it's kind of like a password manager. So a lot of people are familiar with OnePass or LastPass and they're generating passwords. Well, that's basically what a hardware wallet does. It generates passwords and then it stores them on that device. So even if you're running Windows XP, 
and you're riddled with, with malware and viruses on your computer, <laughs> in theory, even putting a hardware device into that computer shouldn't actually affect anything. Um, the reality is that uh, a lot of these devices, I wouldn't say have been hacked, but a lot of these devices over time, um, even though someone has physical access to your device, I'd pretty much say that that would be compromised, you know, in maybe a week or two or however long it takes perhaps a sophisticated hacker to sort of get at it. Um, but yeah, hardware devices are definitely the way to go. Um, super convenient. You do sacrifice a bit of security. So we noticed with Ledger um, recently, their devices are safe. So don't worry if you've got a Ledger, everything's fine. But their marketing database was actually released to the public. So everyone who bought a ledger, they've got credit card information, name, address, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of dangerous because people know that, you know, you've received a ledger to perhaps your home address. So, um, um, and, and also another thing is that whenever you're checking your ledger and it's trying to get the latest Bitcoin price or checking your wallet, it is actually phoning home through ledger servers. So at the very least, ledger knows how much Bitcoin you've got, so... Mm. Uh, there is a little bit of a privacy concern about that. But with VPNs and other ways, there are sort of ways to mitigate that. But yeah, definitely a hardware device is super secure and also super convenient. Um, From the estate planning perspective, just to compare and contrast the hardware wallet versus the paper wallet, in order to transfer or, or gift, let's say, or inherit uh, via paper wallet, uh, your heir needs to somehow get get control of where, you know, those private keys, whether it's written on a, on a piece of paper or if it's etched in a metal card or, or somehow have that information delivered to them, which is much more difficult with, again, 250 characters, a string of nonsensical uh, characters. But with a hardware wallet, um, you might be wondering, oh, how do I make sure my heir receives the physical um, hardware wallet? That's not necessarily required. Um, my understanding is... Uh, if you are able to figure out a way to deliver your seed phrases to your heirs, they can, even without finding your hardware wallet, uh, reconstruct your hard or transfer the contents of your hardware wallet to a new device. They, you know, they'll have to buy one, buy a new ledger. Hopefully they're smart enough to buy a new one and not buy a used one off eBay or something, right? <laughs> but uh, as long as we've set it up through, your, through the estate plan, a way to get those seed phrases to, to the heirs or to the executor, um, there is a mechanism to, you know, figure it out. And again, these are um, plain, plain language English words, a little bit more um, easy to work with than, again, a 250 <laughs> character string of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And it would probably be um, several. I mean, you should probably have several paper wallets, not just all your Bitcoin in one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would probably be a bad idea. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's a really good point, Anthony. So you, it, it's kind of like having an ATM card and your PIN. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So your ATM card is kind of like your hardware wallet. So just because someone has your ATM card doesn't necessarily mean that it can clean you out. They also need your pin as well. Um, and we actually suggest, for example, that people set up a separate password for the hardware wallet. It's called like a 25th seed. So uh, mm. in the worst case possible, someone actually gets your 24 words. So mm-hmm. um, let's say your hardware wallet got lost, got stolen, or for whatever reason, um, uh, no one can find it. Someone, as Anthony said, could actually take the 24 words and reconstruct them or restore them onto a brand new mm-hmm. hardware wallet and uh, recover it that way. But what happens if someone gets those 24 words? You know, you've left them in your bookshelf or you've left them 
lying around or you quite foolishly, which you shouldn't do, take a screenshot or take a photo of it and upload it to your iCloud or your Dropbox. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so on those devices, all of them, you can actually set up a 25th word, which is password. So uh, PSA for that. So, so I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I've, I've been looking at the sure. 25th word. So this is where I find it really, it's, it's, it's subjective, but there's a, a delicate balance between the need for security and increasing the complexity and therefore increasing the chances that your executor or your heirs will just never figure it out. And, right. you know, you, we've already put, a, put up a situation where they, they need to figure out these 24 words, which is difficult. You know, I mean, I'm not sure how the, you know, uh, how you, what the plan is to deliver those to your executor or heir. But if you add on top of that, the additional um, twist that they also need this 20 uh, passphrase, you're creating, you're potentially creating more risk of catastrophic loss, but I'm not sure how much risk of theft you're reducing it by. Does that make sense? Sure. Yep. Yeah. I, so I it's it just, all... it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, this whole episode is, it depends, right? How much money you got, how tech savvy you are, uh, how much, you know, whatever. Um, no, that's a really good point. Um, and, it, and at the end of the day is how do you deliver this, whether it's 24 words, whether it's a long private key, uh, whatever, or accounts on an exchange, how do you deliver that to your uh, yeah. executor or how, how is that in your will? So at the end of the day, that's kind of, kind of yeah, where we totally agree. Yeah. Um, Okay, and our third, but really good point about that. Um, our third point is, well, our third, I guess, um, way to stop Bitcoin is exchanges. So a Bitcoin exchange, it could be a completely regulated exchange like Coinbase in the US. It could be our Bulgarian uh, exchange. Um, pros and cons of storing your Bitcoin on exchanges, Anthony. So the pros are it's a much more for 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 new entrants to the cryptocurrency world. It's a more much more familiar um, interface. You have an app, you have a website. You feel like there's an institution there backing up everything you're doing. Um, like in terms of your Coinbase account or your Binance account, you can recover your password if you you know if you lost it. It's all very familiar. Um, the pros you if you die. Uh, and your 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 crypto is on an exchange, at least a U.S. exchange. I haven't looked at Bulgarian exchanges in, in, in particular, but at least with the U.S. ones, yes, there is a process where if your executor shows up with the proper documentation, death certificate, uh, letters of testamentary, they will transact with your executor. Again, I don't know exactly what that means. If they'll cash it out and pay you cash or 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 deliver your your crypto to you in kind, but there is a process. They will not disappear into the ether. Um, the cons are that. Being on exchange, you just you mentioned Mount Gox earlier. You just kind of never know. Um, you you are putting all your coins in somebody else's basket and hoping that their security is better than what you would do, and you're hoping that they're legit and not <laughs> uh, just ponzing it up, basically. <laughs> mm. um, and then, of course, philosophically, I mean, the whole decentralized philosophy behind this is to not be on an exchange like that to not be relying on gatekeepers so there is that in terms of you know you know what you're fighting for with your bitcoin or what your right. what your thought process is <laughs> no i i have this argument all the time even with people with a significant amount of bitcoin and they just leave it on exchange because it's convenient and they'll leave it on a 
regulated exchange like Binance or Coinbase, they'll never they'll never be insolvent. You know, they'll never get hacked. And it's like, well, yeah. Um, I, I think I said this last time. You know, a bridge a, a bridge that collapses. You know, was was probably good the day before. And like, yeah. you just never know. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I uh, I completely agree. And and we're definitely all about taking self custody of your Bitcoin. So. Uh, before we get into perhaps some best practice and solutions, anything else um, comparing Bitcoin uh, loss versus theft? Just, just if to, to wrap it up, there seems to be a, an, an inverse relationship between security and you know convenience. The, the most convenient and familiar version of holding through the exchanges, super familiar, nice, slickly designed apps and all that. It's probably on the on the weaker side of the security spectrum, and then the most secure, you know, with a metal etched <laughs> private key, you know, right. in your in your in your I don't know safe buried in your backyard. It's pretty un- inconvenient, <laughs> but pretty secure. <laughs> exactly. No, I couldn't say it better myself. There's always a trade-off, and um, there's yeah. no one size fits all. I know. I know that's an annoying answer. Um, the answer yeah. is sort of it depends. It also depends on how much money you got. I mean, if we're talking $100 worth of Bitcoin versus, you know, a few million dollars worth of Bitcoin, you're going to have vastly different custody solutions. And yep. it's all about reducing single points of failure. As, as Anthony said, you know, um, how do you let your beneficiaries know about your yep. private keys and in your seed phrases, um, no matter. And, and you know, people outsmart themselves all the time. So, um, yes. yeah, as, as you said, uh probably more likely to lose them than you are at getting stuck, getting um, stolen. And so maybe you want to have duplicates of perhaps some of this stuff for the 24 word seeds Um, that decreases security, but perhaps uh, less likely for single points of failure. I want to, I want to, before we jump into this next section, I want to frame it with this point of experience of mine as executors. I see heirs, and estates just missing things all the time. And I'm talking about conventional assets like bank accounts or you know gold bars or jewelry. Things go missing all the time. And it, things that the, the, the decedent, the person who passed away was probably thinking, oh yeah, they'll figure out where this is. So if that happens with your you know, city bank account, which you is very, very, very familiar, <laughs> I'm just cautioning, it's a very likely that you're going to have problems with something more esoteric, such as a paper cryptocurrency wallet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, without giving any advice, cause it's hard to give advice. Cause it's just, yeah. it's just, I mean, it, it, it really does depends. Um, uh, what would you say as sort of some of the best practices and, sort of things that people should be doing? I think it's a little early to say what what are best practices, um, just because I personally have only, you know, handled a, f- a couple dozen of these, but I can tell you what trends I'm seeing and what seems to be making folks comfortable. And hopefully that's um, helpful to, to, to you and listeners, yeah. Um, oh, so, so what I've learned from, uh, I think her name is Pamela Morgan. She's another attorney who's kind of carved out a niche in this, in this estate planning for with crypto space. But she, she puts a good frame on it in that you really need two plans when you have your cryptocurrency. You have your legal plan, but you need to pair that with a technical plan. 
So you have your lawyer who you know writes up the documents, and if you say I want to cut out this nephew, but I want to make sure this niece gets this amount of money, that's all part of the legal plan and making sure the documents reflect that, and you know making sure that we avoid probate court if that's what you want. That's all part of the legal plan. But then the technical plan is okay. Now that we know who gets what and what you want to avoid and what your goals are, we need to also make sure that because there's not as much infrastructure, there isn't the automatic beneficiary designation or the court system is not as well developed for this. We need to figure out how is this going to happen? <laughs> how are we going to pass on these uh, seed phrases or shards of seed phrases or private right. keys? And um, that's the technical side. And your lawyer needs to be familiar with at least at a, a certain minimum level to make sure that it those two things dovetail and, and sort of work. Yeah. So if anyone listening out there, uh, you need a legal plan, see Anthony. If you need a technical plan, come and see us at coincompass.com, shameless plug. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this all day and different custody solutions, but it really needs to be individualized for your particular yeah. use case. And um, yeah, any, anything else you want to plug, Anthony? Maybe your website and Twitter or where are you these days? Uh, yeah, website is anthonyspark.com. It reads anthonyspark.com. That's just a bunch of my writings. A lot of it is mostly traditional uh, probate and estate work, but I'm I am I am thinking out loud a lot more about the uh, the crypto planning. So you'll see that there. And I'm actually um I would love to hear more from any of your listeners or viewers. Um, if anyone has a plan that they 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 want to kick around or just want to think about. Uh, ping me or, or contact me and um, I'm happy to, to have a chat with you because I'm learning as we go along and the more data points I have, the stronger my knowledge will become. So you are helping me by reaching out to me. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Anthony, for your time. And hopefully we've put a few uh, fires under some uh, rear ends to people who uh, really haven't been um, thinking about their estate planning. It's got a significant, yeah. or even if you've got a little amount of Bitcoin, $100 today could be worth a lot more in five years' time. So uh, yeah, never too late to get started. Sure. Well, thanks again, Anthony. And uh, we will um, have that cap or T-shirt ready for you next episode. Thanks for having me, Gordon. Thanks, Anthony. Cheers. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.